0: My name's Nick. I'm uh, happy to see some students back with us uh, from college and whatnot. Uh, that's awesome. Happy to see perhaps a few family members uh, in town. Um, welcome. If I, if I haven't met you, I am um, yeah, the, the lead pastor. I'd love to talk to you afterwards, get to know you more. Um But this morning, I'm going to be getting us into God's Word, particularly in in the book of Luke. So the Gospel of Luke is where we're going to be. If you need a Bible, um, raise your hand, and the ushers will... I just take for granted that the ushers are there, and they just always are, somehow. We don't have a schedule, they're just there. Uh, They'll get you a Bible, just raise your hand, and you can follow along with us. Uh, we are a church that that, uh, that follows uh, word by word in the scriptures, right? So if you're wondering what my outline is, uh, you'll see it there in verses uh, 12 through 15 of Luke 5. Um, I'd love for you to have a Bible in your lap. It'll help you follow along because we're just going to follow right along with God's thought as he's recorded uh, it for us in the scriptures. Hope you guys are having a good Christmas season. You guys doing all right? Yeah, you're, you're you're stressed out. You're you're ready for the for it to be over. You're getting all your gifts. You're already who's already done getting their their shopping done and whatnot. Yeah, people are done. Look at this. Woo! I was spending all day yesterday uh putting together a photo book. Don't tell my parents, you know, of my of my girls and whatnot uh, for their their gift. Um, I might get a text in the middle of preaching here. My my wife. So she's about now almost 36 weeks pregnant. Um, and, you know, we want her to go a little longer, but it's already been a kind of a rough pregnancy and she's having some contractions, things like that. So I don't really know. Uh, but I'll tell you something. If, uh, she happens to go into labor, I'll have to, uh, tag Jerry again to bring it to the close and, uh, I'll see, I'll see y'all maybe in a couple of weeks. <laughs> let's, let's read, um, Luke chapter 5. Verses 12 through 15. Let me pray and then then we'll get into it. While he was in one of the cities, this is Jesus, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad. And great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Let's, uh, let's pray. Gotta begin every sermon I ever preach with prayer, not just out of ritual, not just out of tradition, but out of desperation. And even that, not just for myself as the preacher, but for everyone in this room who is now putting themselves under your word and asking you for ears to hear, for eyes to see, for hearts to feel. God, we we don't um, come to your word. We don't come to you uh, in our own strength. We come to you like a beggar. We're not sitting here saying, look at us, how great we are. We're sitting here saying, God, look at us, how needy we are. We are desperate for uh, your grace. We're desperate for you to come and speak in a way that just cuts through all all the the show. (laughs) Cuts through all the the externals and gets straight to the heart, and your word can do it. You say it's sharper than a two-edged sword. You say that you you wield it by the Spirit, and you bring it in and you apply it in the deepest places of our being. So God, I'm asking today, however uh, that needs to take place, whatever that means for each individual in this room, would uh, you speak? Would you cleanse? Would you heal? Would you restore? Would you save? Would you strengthen and sustain? God, it's you that we kneel before. It's you that, that we need here this morning. And we, we beg of you. Please come and meet with us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Um, okay, so... Real quick, just by, by means of introduction. Um, the world of the Bible. So when you're doing Bible study and things like that, sometimes uh, if you're just going to kind of quickly read through the text, you're going to miss a lot. You're going to miss a lot. Um, because one of the things we need to remember, the, the world of the Bible, um, it oftentimes doesn't come alive without a little bit of work. I, I was reminded this book, past week of a um quote it's almost become proverbial by by the uh, the british writer lp hartley he he wrote this you've probably heard it the past is a foreign country they do things differently there did you hear that? The past is a foreign country, meaning what happened back there. When we try to study history, when we read ancient documents, things like that, uh, it's like going to a foreign country. They're doing things different. We don't know how it works. And just as we would prepare ourselves to travel, I don't know if you've ever gone to a foreign country. Uh, maybe, maybe you have. I, I have. When you're preparing to travel to a foreign country, if you're gonna, if you're gonna. Uh, ensure that it's a good time, uh, you're going to make sure certain things are in order, right? There's a lot of things you're going to have to do. Like, I don't know, make sure you have the right currency. Uh, make sure that you have a, a place to stay, <laughs> right? Make sure you know how to say in, in their common vernacular language, where is the bathroom? That's an important one. If you don't know how to say these things or do these things, that trip to the foreign country is not going to go well. So it requires preparation. The same thing goes when you come to the world of the Bible, when you try to travel to the foreign world of the Bible, sometimes we have to put in some work if we're to get the most out of our visit. And so I, I want to know uh, what. Is this man, this leper in our text, what is he dealing with? What is he experiencing? What is he thinking, feeling? What is he going through? What does it mean to be a leper in first century Israel? What does it mean? It's only when I start to do some of that work with you that uh, I will begin to identify with him and it 's only then that I think uh, the response that Jesus has in our text will just send shivers down our spine as it should, because this is i mean this is an insane uh, uh, narrative, an insane scene that we are witnessing, and we might have missed it and so i want to I want to do a little bit of background work and we 'll make our way towards the response of Christ to this leper so Um, before we can begin really to understand what this man is dealing with, I think we need to try to understand what leprosy even is. And to be honest with you, uh, even scholars are a bit confused about the, the Greek and the Hebrew words that are being translated as leprosy here, Um, we immediately, when we think of leprosy and we hear leprosy, we read it in the text, we immediately think of what's come, been come, uh, come to be known as Hansen's disease. You guys familiar? It, it's what you would see in like Time Magazine or on the news or whatever with the, 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 the lepers that you imagine. Uh, it's, it's what now is called kind of Hansen's disease. It's a horrible thing. It involves uh, disfiguring skin sores, like all over the body. It involves like this, this horrible kind of uh, nerve kind of damage. That, that causes your fingers and perhaps even your body to kind of curl up when it's all done with you. Uh, so it's this, it's this radical, nasty thing, leprosy. But um, it is thought, actually, that the, the Greek word that Luke uses here, lepra, um, surely probably does encompass this Hansen's disease, but it actually is a bit broader. OK, it actually is a bit um, broader. It, it, it's referring to perhaps a, a little bit more. And that's why if you're reading your Bibles carefully, uh, I think what we have at least given to you is the ESV translation. And they make a little footnote to make sure we don't miss this. They say leprosy was a term for several skin diseases. OK, so we're just doing a little background here. I know I jumped right in with you, but uh, stick with me. Leviticus 13 is the place where this is outlined uh, for us in, in a bit fuller detail. Uh, there is where we're going to see that these various skin diseases uh, can include things that involve symptoms like this. Uh, spots, that's Leviticus 13, verse 2. Boils, verse 18. Burns, verse 24. Itches, verse 30. And scalp conditions, verse 42. So Leviticus 13, in the law, starts to talk about what would be uh, some of the things that a leper would deal with. And it's when these spots or these, these itches or these burns or these boils go deeper than the skin that the priest would say, okay, we have now a case of leprosy. So there's something significant, something almost systemic, something that's coming inside uh, from the skin and going in deeper. That is what they were starting to call leprosy uh, in in Israel's day, in Jesus' day. But now, whatever this disease might be, we can be sure of one thing. I, I can't be sure of exactly what all is encompassed in uh, leprosy, but I can be sure of one thing it involves it involved <laughs> agonizing layers of ostracism three in fact, agonizing layers of ostracism. you know what I mean by ostracism you've been you're, you're going to be ostracized in three different difficult Ways. You're going to be excluded, uh, separated, isolated in three horrible ways. Let me give you the first here. Ostracism from your own body. I think we could say that leprosy first and foremost just begins with ostracism from your own body. Meaning, my body is broken. It's not doing the things I want. It's almost like, for the leper, the, the the body was evicting the soul. I don't know if you've ever gotten an eviction notice from your landlord. It's not a good notice to get. It means you've got to get out. And it's like this man... <laughs> who has leprosy is being his soul is being evicted from his body. The body's just kicking him out. It's against him. And we read um, this in Numbers twelve, twelve. I, I think this is interesting because while while there was a variety of physical effects um, that came with leprosy, we know that it could often be deathly serious. I mean, deathly serious. That's why, Numbers 12.12, 12, Aaron is interceding for his sister Miriam, who now has leprosy. And he says this, Let her not be as one dead, whose flesh is half eaten away. Do you hear that? It's like my sister is dead because she's got leprosy. Her flesh is just eaten up. Her body is evicting her soul. She's living, but she's dead. Because she has whatever this leprosy is. And so we wonder what sort of physical trauma this man has been dealing with. And for how long. But keep with me, another layer of ostracism. That he would be dealing with ostracism from society ostracism from society isolated separated kicked out excluded from society now a person who suffered um, from such a thing as, as leprosy was to present himself to a priest in Israel for examination. He'd come up to the priest. He'd hope not to hear the news, but he would probably hear the news. Yes, this is going deeper than the skin. Yes, this is a case of leprosy. And therefore, Leviticus 13, 3, the priest would pronounce him unclean. Unclean. Now hear me on this. Because with this pronouncement comes the next layer or two. Of ostracism. What the priest is saying. It's not just that this man is unwell. That's what we talked about at first. Just physically he's sick. Physically it's hard. It hurts. It's broken. But now we move somewhere deeper. Because he's not just unwell. He's also unclean. You hear the difference? Now, this is not just a physical, hygienic category, okay? This is not like, hey, man, you're unclean. Like I tell my daughters, you know, at the end of the day after playing, I said, you're unclean, you got to get in the tub and then you'll be ready for bed and it'll be all right. This isn't just hygiene we're talking about. This is a, a ritual, religious category. When, when the priest pronounces the leper unclean," it means he is no longer fit to, to fellowship with the holy people of Israel. So there is an ostracism now that this brother has to face from society, from his family, his, his, his people, his tribe. He can't live among man any more. Leviticus thirteen forty five through 46 listen to this. I know I'm asking you to do some background work before I get to application to you. But this is good. This, practice, this, is, this, is, a, this is a practice for, for learning how to listen to others so that when, when it comes time, uh, we can understand them rightly and we can enter in properly, right? I will get to how we're involved in this. But let's just, let's just think about this man for a moment, this leper, what he's dealing with. And we'll identify with him in a moment. Leviticus thirteen forty-five to 46 The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So moving back up that text for a moment and imagining yourself there, the leper must live outside the camp. Can't live among the people of Israel. He must live alone And beyond even that, he has to tear his clothes. He's got to, like, make himself look haggard. We're busy trying to make ourselves look good before a Sunday morning, looking in the mirror, doing our thing, getting our hair in the right place. This brother has to make himself look as haggard as he can so everyone knows do not approach me. I'm unclean. I'm filthy. And if for some reason someone does come outside the city and actually starts to approach this brother, he has to scream out, unclean, unclean, so that they don't get too close. As if to say, if you get too close to me, you'll be contaminated by me. Stay away. I'm a leper. All of this um, sparks one commentator to write this. The social consequences of leprosy were perhaps worse than the illness itself. Leprosy was a sentence of social ostracism The disease deprived victims not only of health, but of their names, occupations, social habits, families, fellowship, and worshiping communities. Leprosy contaminated Israel's status as a holy people. Other illnesses had to be healed. And we've watched Jesus heal other illnesses in this gospel. But leprosy had to be cleansed. Josephus, the Jewish historian, speaks of the banishment of lepers as those in no way differing from a corpse. We're talking about the living dead here. I don't know if you've ever heard said uh, to someone, God forbid to you, but in the heat of anger, sometimes people can say things like, you're dead to me. you ever heard anybody say that in the movies or in your life. It's kind of like that. I mean, the people of Israel aren't aren't saying such a thing in anger to the leper, but they have to say it nonetheless. You're dead, as far as we're concerned. You've got to go. In no way differing from a corpse. What does it feel like to be treated as dead? While you're still alive. That's what this man is experiencing. That's what he's experiencing. That's what it means to have leprosy in Jesus' day there in Israel. I'm alive. But I'm dead. Ostracism from body. Ostracism from society. I saved the, the worst for last. Ostracism from the Lord. Because to be pronounced unclean means that the person is now in some way actually at odds with the Holy One Himself, Yahweh. The man is not unloved by Yahweh, and that is an important distinction. I won't be able to go into all this this morning if you have questions Ask me afterwards, we'll talk about it. The man is not unloved by Yahweh, but he is unclean. And with that, he is to be excluded not only from the camp where Israel lives, but he's to be excluded from the house of the Lord, the temple or the tabernacle where Israel worships. So this man not only is is broken in body, kicked out from society, he now is not permitted to worship with the people in the house of the Lord. This is why um, in Second Chronicles twenty six, twenty one, when Uzziah, the king of Judah, is struck with leprosy because of his arrogance. We, we we read this he then had to live in a separate house, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. You can't live among my people, and that certainly means you can't come into the house that's at the center of my people, namely the tabernacle or the temple. So it's simple, but it's painful logic. Leper is unclean. God is holy of all holies. Therefore, leper can have no fellowship with God. So what does it feel like to have even God keep you at a safe distance away? What would it feel like? I mean, we're new covenant people. We, 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 we understand what Jesus has come to do. And we start to see the heart of Yahweh develop in that way. We know that he's come to embrace. What would it feel like to get, feel like you have a stiff arm from the Lord? What would it feel like when as you're reading through the Old Testament, you see that so often leprosy is what strikes people in their sin, whether it's Miriam or Uzziah or or who was uh, uh, Elijah's or servant's name? I can't remember his name now. Naaman, Naaman, I think, was the king who was healed, but I I could be wrong. Yeah, but you see, leprosy hit people in their guilt. What does it feel like then? It feels like God has, has excluded you. God doesn't love you. God is keeping you at a safe distance, even from himself, lest he break out at you and kill you in your uncleanness. What does that feel like? Now let's talk about, having done a little bit of work, I'm ready to enter this foreign country with you. Let's talk about what your ostracisms are. Do you relate to any of these layers? I mean, maybe it's that your body is broken and it feels like it's working against you. Your body's broken and it's breaking your heart. Like, why is God doing this to me? The suffering, the trauma. It's been years. Where is God? I feel ostracized from my own body. Or maybe you feel all alone socially. Maybe you feel ostracized from society, maybe every social group you've ever tried to get into, you always just feel kind of like the outsider. You even came to church thinking, hey, I hear about church that they're all inviting and welcoming and loving. Surely there I'll feel like I'm included. But even here, I feel like an outcast. I feel like I don't belong in the house of the Lord or whatever it is. Like this community, I'm just unclean or uncool. You feel like you could die and no one would even notice. Or maybe you come into this room this morning by a miracle. You're you're even here. Because deep inside you feel like You feel so filthy, you're sure that you're just going to get that stiff arm from God. You don't know why, for some reason you just came, but you have this gnawing sense of guilt for what you've done, whether last night or or ten years ago. I'm unclean, I'm filthy, I'm sure that if God were in this room, He would not reach out and embrace me. He would reach out and just strike me. guilt the filth you feel it let's just sit back and watch what happens next in our text so with with this background in mind two things that we wouldn't have otherwise noticed now just comes screaming out, I hope, uh, at us in verse 12. First, we read that uh Jesus is in one of the cities there, in verse 12. In one of the cities, and it's here that he meets this leper. Well, I want to ask, what's the leper doing in the city? What's he doing in the city? He's breaking some serious laws here, and he knows it. He's supposed to be outside the city, outside the gates. What's he doing in? Second, we read that the leper came to Jesus. And again, I gotta ask, what is the leper doing approaching anyone? He's supposed to stand at a safe distance and if anyone gets close, scream out, I'm filthy, don't come near. But in our text, he is approaching Christ. He came to Jesus in the city. (laughs) Does he not know what's going on? Does he not know what he's doing? Certainly he does, you guys, but he doesn't care. He doesn't care. Care. The reports about Jesus have spread even to the lepers living outside the city gates. Like we read there in first uh, in Luke four thirty seven, reports were just spreading, and they reached the lepers. And he said, "Man, here is my last chance to be human again. I, nothing's going to stop me." And so he makes a run on the city. He makes a run on this man, Jesus. He comes to him, and this is what we read. When he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Let me tell you something, this right here, this posture that this man takes, guys, this is the only posture a man can take if he is truly to receive from Jesus. It's it, it's the posture of of the man uh outside the shell station as you go in to pay for your gas who's outside with the with the cup in his hand asking for just a coin just a coin it's the posture of a beggar it's a posture of desperation Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to Thee for dress. Helpless look to Thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. That's from the old hymn, Rock of Ages. That's it. Nothing in my hand I bring. If you have not, if you have not gone just face down, we read it, right? He fell on his face. If you have not gone face down, palms up before Jesus, then I fear you have never truly seen him or yourself right Because when we get what's going on in our hearts, when we get the desperate state of our souls, and when we get who He is, what He's done, what He's capable of, that's the posture right there. Lord, if You will, You can make me clean. We're just on our faces. I don't care who sees. I don't care how crazy I look. I'm desperate. I'm a beggar. But, this is, this is amazing, though he is utterly desperate, this man shows remarkable restraint. He, he, he really does. Uh, though he is a beggar, he's, he's, he's quite a gentleman, <laughs> if I may put it that way. Listen to how he asks, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Do, do you hear the... the, the the fact that this man is giving Jesus space, even though he is desperate as, as no one else perhaps felt, he still gives Jesus space to do what seems best to him. He's not making demands here. He's making a plea. He's a beggar, not a boss. Lord, if you will, if you will, you can make me clean. And perhaps this sort of reverence that we see should wrap us uh, back around to how he, he begins the whole thing. Lord, Lord. You see, this, this beggar seems to know something about this, this man, Jesus. And he's coming to him like Lord. He's putting himself on. Under and say, I trust you to do what's best. There is absolutely no question in uh, in, in this leper's mind as to Jesus' ability. There's only submission to Jesus' will. Did you, did, did you hear that? There's no question as to Jesus' ability, only submission to Jesus' will. He says, If you will, you can. I know you can. There's no question as to ability. There is submission to your will. If you will, you can make me clean. So, though he's desperate to be healed, desperate to be made human again and get to enter society, enter worship, he trusts Jesus to do what's best. If you will, you can make me clean. Now, let me ask you what about you? Is there an if you will in your prayers, in your pleadings with God? Is there an if you will there or is it just demands? Do we have do we give Jesus space to to will something different than we will? Are we the beggar that's become the boss? The guy who's, we've all seen that. We're the guy who jingling his little cup for coins and you say, well, hey, how about I buy you a burger instead? Because we're worried about what they're going to do with the money. Suddenly gets angry and starts telling you how they want you to give. We're trying to do what's best for them and they don't want that. In our prayer lives, is there is there an if-you-will that we give to him? We say, you have the space to do what seems best, even though I have my ideas, I trust you. It's interesting, you guys, that there are, uh, you've probably come to face this, there are certain circles that would say that uh, putting if-you-will in your prayers is actually an evidence, not of, of faith, but a lack of faith. No, 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 you declare it in Jesus' name. You say, yes, (laughs) I declare this. I I take it in Jesus' name. I'm telling you, I I actually think it requires more faith, not less, to say, I really want this. I know you're able. But are you willing? If you will, like Jesus would say, remove this cup from me. There's no less faith in me to say that or this leper to say that than there was in Christ when he humbled himself before his father and said those very same things. It takes a lot of faith to say you might do it differently than I would want you to do it, but I give you the space to go that way if it's for my good in the end. Lord, if you will, he says, you can make me clean. Now, verse 13, we read it. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him which we'll get into that in a moment, saying, I will be clean. And immediately, the leprosy left him. There is no way to overstate the miracle of of, of this little verse. This moment that we just witnessed in Jesus' ministry. There's no way to overstate it. Um, One commentator reminds us, people shunned lepers and we are safe in saying, he writes, that nobody but other lepers had touched this man in years. No one would touch this man unless you were a leper in the same unclean state as this man. And yet, what we see is, in our text, not another leper touching him, not even another mere man, although Jesus is a man, not even another mere man touching him. What we see is God come in the flesh, stretching out his hand to touch this brother and clean him up. And even that is incredibly profound. In the Old Testament, ritual impurity and these laws, what we see about them, it it would spread. Okay. It was, it was the uncleanness that would spread. If you were clean and you touched me, the unclean, you would become unclean. The uncleanness was spreading. God was teaching uh, his people about how sin spread like gangrene through the world. And so that when we come into contact with uncleanness, it spreads to others. But Jesus is here in our text reversing that dynamic. The holy one, the clean one, touches the unclean and it's cleanness that becomes contagious. It's cleanness that starts to move out. I will be clean. And the filthy washed up. In Christ, the holiness of God is not shielded off somewhere deep in the holy of holies. It's breaking out and coming for filthy people like you and I. Now, I wonder if you uh, had hoped for a Christmas text this morning. But this is, this is Christmas season, Nick. This is Christmas. What are you doing? You're just going through the gospel. Look like we're not in, you know, Advent. Come on. We want an Advent series. You want a Christmas text? Here's your Christmas text. Merry Christmas. <laughs> he stretched out his hand and touched him. It doesn't get any more Christmas than that. Long lay the world in sin and error pining, right? And then Jesus comes in the incarnation and touches the world, and it's never the same again. It's amazing. Am I yelling? I'm sorry. <laughs> Get back up a little bit. I've got a little bit of an intense tone this morning. I should lighten things. Oh, it's incredible, though. It's incredible. What would it be like to look down and watch as your skin turned from flaky, boiling, deformed, half eaten, curled up, or whatever, to soft, healthy again? We have um, nothing less than a pro- profound picture of the gospel in this text and its effects upon a person. I, I have spoken before about the gospel uh, and what it does in us as, as, as rehumanization, as making us human again. In the fall, we became kind of something less than human. We marred the image of God in us. Well in redemption and what Christ has come to do there's this rehumanizing effect where we start to become human again and that's precisely what we see in this text the, the 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 dead the walking dead the living dead becomes now alive again becomes human again just with the touch and the word of Christ the layers of ostracism he'd had to deal with just start coming on un- Done. I mean, think about this. Now, suddenly, he's at harmony with his body again, soul and body uh, united again, in a sense. And then you have. Uh, He can enter back into society again. I mean, just imagine, imagine this guy now can run up and just kiss his wife again. He can now lift up his kids and play with them in the streets. He can embrace his long lost friends. He can go to work and just whatever he did, I don't know, hold the hammer again or whatever it is, I get to be a part of this. I get to be human again. And beyond all that, he gets to go into with the congregation of his people in the temple just fall down and give thanks to God who would do this for him he gets to worship in the house of the Lord he gets to be human I get this this picture of the gospel in yours and my life and where Jesus goes next in our text completes the gospel picture for us so he charges the man in verse 14. And this is interesting. He says what to him? Go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded. At first, uh, if you're reading carefully, this might seem a bit perplexing to us. Why does Jesus say, now go and make an offering for your cleansing, if he already said, I will be clean, and the man was immediately uh, cleaned? Why now go and make an offering for your cleansing? I thought I'm good. I thought I'm good. Why do I got to go make an offering now? Well, it's because Jesus doesn't want this man or us to forget what the Old Testament made so clear. Namely, cleansing, the true, deep, soul kind of cleansing, can only come through the shedding of blood. It can only come through the shedding of blood. Therefore, you've got to make an offering. I want you to see what I just did connected to the sacrifice of another. Another. In, in the Old Testament law, it's, it's true that um, often what's held out for us is kind of like the stark contrast between God's holiness and, and man's our sinfulness. The law helps us to see that in very real, visual, vivid ways. And these laws that God established with clean and and unclean, they they help us to kind of keep this ever before us. It's like a physical way of of, uh, teaching us about the spiritual realities of our uncleanness and our sin. We recall that sickness and death entered the world because of man's sin. The day you eat of it, you will surely Die, sickness, death related to our sin. So the leper became kind of the picture, the reminder of that reality. That's why he was excluded. That's why he was considered unclean. God is teaching the leper and us about who he is, who we are, but through it all. All this talk about about holiness and sinfulness. Through it all, there has always been this kind of beating on the drum of God's mercy and grace. There's always been this talk about the cleansing that comes through the blood. Through the blood. Tucked within... All the laws concerning leprosy and cleansing is a picture of the grand solution. The cross of Jesus Christ. So, let me show you this and and we'll we'll close here. Leviticus 14. Leviticus 13 deals with, okay, you're a leper. Here's Here's all the stuff that means you're a leper. Leviticus 14 says, hey, if by some miracle... Or or, or somehow you, you, um, you recovered from your leprosy. You've been healed of your leprosy. Here's what we need you to do. You're going to go back, present yourself to the priest. He's going to examine you again. And then we have some offerings that you're going to make for your cleansing. And I want to focus on where this whole process uh, begins with the offerings. There are these two birds, and it's amazing. It's amazing. There are these two birds that the leper was to bring uh, uh, to the temple, to the priest. One bird would be slain. The other bird would be set free. I'm just going to read Spurgeon as he uh, describes and then interprets this for us. First, there was a sacrifice. One of the birds was taken, and his blood was shed. And Spurgeon says, if sin is put away, it must be by blood. There is no way of putting sin from before the presence of God, except by the streams which flow from the open veins of Christ. So one bird slain, and and, and its blood was shed. then the second bird was dipped into the blood. It sounds weird, sounds crazy, but God's just giving us vivid pictures of what his son would do. The, the, The second bird was dipped into the blood. And when this had been done seven times, the living bird was allowed to fly away. This is a picture also of Christ. As a living bird, he ascends on high after being slain for us, scattering the red drops of atonement. He rises above the clouds which receive him out of our sight and there before his father's throne he pleads the full merit of the sacrifice which he offered for us once for all. The leper was made clean by sacrifice and by resurrection. Did you hear that? Is that not amazing? So Jesus is here with this leper saying, listen, go make the offering for your cleansing. And his reason is I don't want you to miss what I've come to do and how the ultimate cleansing, not just of body, but of soul and from sin will take place. It's going to take place there on Calvary. It's going to take place when I like that bird and slain, but I like that other bird fly away, rise up and go to my father and live to make intercession for you. Don't just think that your leprosy, your uncleanness, I'm just like Mr. Clean. And i just going kind to of wipe it and who knows how it works and where it, go, where it goes. No way. I'm taking that uncleanness. I'm taking the filth. I'm taking the sin upon myself and I will go to Calvary where I will die and I will rise for you. For you. With all this in view, let me just close with two quick exhortations. First, come to the Lord. Come to the Lord. I I, I, I don't know if you're feeling ostracized in one way or another whether in body or, or 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 from society or from God. But I do know one thing. Jesus Christ, in our text, makes it abundantly clear. You will not be cast out by Him. Whether it's suffering that you are experiencing or it's sin that you feel guilty for, you need to confess whatever it is. You come to Him and that hand will reach out and touch and heal and cleanse and bring you in. His commitment is plain. That's what the cross means. It means there is no one, there is no one now who can't make a run on God's throne of grace and find help in their time of need. God shows His commitment by crushing His Son. He's not now going to turn and keep you out. Come to the Lord. But secondly... Go to the leper. Come to the Lord, but go to the leper. For those of us who come to the Lord experience this grace, we don't just live in the house of the Lord and stay there. He puts us on mission. A mission to do what Christ himself came to do. As the Father sent me, so I send you. This is a call, in a way, this text is a call for courageous compassion. Compassion that gets into the dirt with other people. We're not afraid anymore to touch the untouchable, to love the unlovable, to live among the dead. We go outside the city, outside the gate where Christ died and we reach people there. The unclean and the filthy, because we know the life of Christ is now exploding out of us, breaking out of us. And the movement has been reversed. It's not, hey, you know, we got to stay separate from the nations. We've got to maintain holiness and keep our cleanness. No, now cleanness is moving out. So we go, we go, we go to the leper. Amen. Let's pray. God thank you for <laughs> thank you for coming to us thank you for touching us thank you for speaking cleanness over us thank you for going to the cross dying and raising for us for experiencing our ostracism There, as your soul was ripped from your body, has all society, all the world turned against you, and even your Father came against you. Jesus, we can't even begin to imagine all that you paid for us, but we can at least begin to give you thanks for it. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.